The man in charge of sonic motivation for players. DJ extraordinaire. The official DJ of your Edmonton Oilers. For the NHL hub. DJ for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Of the World Junior Hockey Championship. John Hicks. John Hicks. John Hicks, a.k.a. Johnny Infamous. Johnny Infamous. Johnny Infamous. Johnny Infamous. A shout out to DJ Infamous in the building at Rogers Place, keeping the energy up. Welcome to Between Whistles with your host, Johnny Infamous. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Presented by DraftKings. This week is jam-packed with ways for you to have a front-row seat to all of the action. Assemble your team lineup while staying under the salary cap, then sit back and watch your points pile up. Over $7 billion has been paid out to users across all sports. Download the DraftKings app, sign up using code THPN, and get a free entry with your first deposit. Minimum $5 required. Welcome back to Between Whistles, everybody. Right off the hop, want to thank everyone who's downloaded or streamed the show in the last four weeks. Uh, you can find Between Whistles wherever you get podcasts. Just search for it as well. Head over to YouTube and check out the visual version of the show. My guest today has been anywhere and everywhere in the sports entertainment industry. Uh, he's got a lot of stories to tell. We're going to try and get some of the best out of him today. And I may have a bit of favoritism because he did once tweet that I was the best DJ in the NHL. So I'll return the favor and tell him he's probably one of the best, if not the best, play-by-play announcer in the league today. He spent over 30 years in sports broadcasting. Uh, you've seen and heard him on TSN, Sportsnet, Hockey Night in Canada, and more. He's one of my all-time favorite play-by-play personalities. I remember he was calling the game the night Connor McDavid scored his very first playoff goal in 2017 in an Oilers OT winner. It was a thriller against the Sharks. It's great to hear him regularly now. He is the voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's Dave Randorf. Welcome to Between Whistles. Thanks for having me. That's a very nice introduction. I remember that Connor McDavid goal very well. It was a special moment for sure. So Dave, uh, give the listeners a quick backstory if they don't know who you are. Where are you from? Where'd you go to school? And other than the obvious, the love of sports, what first piqued your interest about sports broadcasting? I grew up in the, uh, the lower mainland in BC, just outside of Vancouver and went to high school there. And I was a rare breed back then and that I had a direction coming out of high school. A lot of my friends took a while to figure it out. And, and that's probably way more common. I'm not saying I was smarter. I just just kind of knew which way I wanted to go. I used to do the school announcements and do the PA at basketball games at high school and all that kind of stuff. So I applied to broadcasting school in Vancouver and in Toronto at the Ryerson. was accepted to go to Toronto and I made this, this big move. And literally about a month of my first year there, I stumbled into a job at TSN. Uh, I met John Wells, who was back then, this is 85. TSN had been on the air one year. Wellesley was, he was the big free agent signing for that brand new sports channel. This is, you know, before anybody really knew what TSN was. So Wellesley got me in the door. I uh, literally stumbled my way through what, what I thought was supposed to be a tour and ended up being a job interview. And I got laughed at uh, by my then boss uh, when I when he asked me for a resume and I didn't have one. He goes, you come to a job interview with no resume? I said, I thought I was just here for the tour. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, I got a job in the newsroom and uh, I, my job was to go in and watch games every night and put together the highlight packs for what was then called Sports Desk. And I thought, wow, here I am. I'm like a month into my first year of university. I got my job for the rest of my life. This is perfect. I mean, I thought this 50 bucks a night sounds good to me. 
I get to watch all the sports I can possibly watch. And so uh, I, I gradually, you know, raised the bar of my expectations levels uh, as they went along. And, and that's when I made the shift to wanting to be on air and, and do uh, sports and uh, got a various different uh, assignments along the way. TSN showed a lot of faith in me, uh, sent me out on field reports and, uh, and things like that. Then I got a job to go back to Vancouver uh, and I hosted a show. And that was a big thrill for me because that show, Sports Page, was the show I grew up watching. And so to go home and be a part of that show was, was a big deal. And, and that's where I really kind of got my first on-air stuff. And, um, you know, fast forward, TSN hires me back. And I, I worked out of Vancouver at a, a late night studio there for a long time, co-hosting SportsCenter. There was me on one end, Darren Detition on the other. And uh, then they moved me to Toronto in 2001. My role was really kind of undefined. They said, you know what, we're going to have you host uh, Blue Jays. And that's where we'll start. I thought, okay, that sounds great. And uh, I got a call about two or three weeks before I was supposed to actually get on the plane and go. And it's my, my boss, Rick Chisholm. He said, what do you think of the CFL? You like, you like the Canadian Football League? I said, yeah. He says, James is moving over to sports. James Duffy, was, he hosted for like a couple of years, I think. And we're going to put him on full-time with Dutch on uh, Sports Center, And we want you to host the CFL. I said, great. Well, little did I know that that would, you know, launch a major part of my career. You know, I, I did that for 12 years and uh, yeah. Friday night football and great cups. Uh, I still, to this day, I, I'm, I'm identified with that, which is great. I love that. It was an awesome time. We had a lot of laughs. Gradually, I got a chance to do some more play-by-play in, in different events. While I was still living in Vancouver, before I had made the move, I got called out of the blue to do a women's game in Calgary at the Oval. It was the CIS Women's Championship game, and uh, there was nobody there, and the game was terrible. And I say this respectfully because women's hockey has come a long way. And my partner that day, Cassie Campbell, who knows a thing or two about women's hockey, she even agrees with the story, too. It was a bad game. It was like one goal the entire night. So I do the game, then fast forward a year later, now I'm living in Toronto, and we get the national rights for the NHL. And everybody's really excited because that's a big deal, obviously, to get the national rights back to TSN. And, and we were all kind of wondering if we'd have a role in it. And I thought maybe I, maybe I would, but I didn't think it would be play-by-play. I got called into a meeting and they said, listen, Gordon Miller is going to do the majority of the games, but we want you to call play-by-play in the National Hockey League. And I was stunned. Again, I've just done all these little games and I hadn't done one NHL game, nothing even close to it. So I shook everybody's hands. Said, Thank you so much for the faith you're showing in me here. But I got to ask, I'm going to go out there and do the best I can. But what made you think I could do this? And uh, one of my bosses chimed in and he said, you remember that game that I called you in the last minute to do that women's game? You know, if it'll be a year, year ago and you had to fly to Calgary on short notice and do it. I said, yeah. He goes, that game was awful. You made it actually sound fairly entertaining. So if you can call that game, you can definitely call an NHL game. So <laughs> that lesson and that story has always stuck with me because that day, if you really want to just jump ahead, has led to me sitting here, having done six years of hockey night in Canada, and now the voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning. So you never know who's watching. You never know who's listening. You just try to put your best foot forward every time, and I'm living proof of that. What was one of your favorite events you had the opportunity to cover back then? TSN took me around the globe. I'm talking like not just here. They, they literally, I traveled the globe one year, all over Europe, all over Canada, but the World Hockey Championship, that was a fantastic event in that it's springtime, you're in one of the great cities in Europe, the weather's nice, and you get hockey fans that converge from all over. It's a big, big deal. While it's not the Stanley Cup playoffs, it certainly is a huge event in Europe. It's their Stanley Cup. 
So you get fans that come from everywhere. There's weather's nice. Everybody's in a great mood. It's a different atmosphere entirely, especially when you get down to that final four weekend. So, you know, Stockholm, Prague, Bern, Switzerland, Helsinki, Moscow. Those are just off the top of my head of cities that I've had the good fortune to be in for like three weeks. Are you kidding me? So it, it was a real treat. You're also, you're a bit of a good luck charm, Dave. I mean, I know of at least two people who've won a million bucks while you're doing uh, in-game promotions. But the one I want to ask you about, do you remember the night uh, the Wendy's kicked to win? Of course I do. Brian Deesman, if I'm not mistaken. And that's a funny story. So this was Wendy's kick for a million, for those who may not remember. They would have this random raffle you entered at, at Wendy's, and you got a chance to kick a 50-yard field goal for a million bucks. Full disclosure, I'll remember when they brought this idea to us and we were all looking at each other going, this, this, this is not going to happen. You know, it's just not going to happen at all. And, and so it was Hamilton and Toronto, the Argos and Tie guys playing, on, I guess, on Friday night. And so he had, he had to kick one for you. There was different levels of prizes. So he kicks the 20 yarder, 30 yard, 40 yard, and he's got the leg on all of them, but they're all like about this much to the right. <laughs> all of them identical. He missed them. And then I do the old thing and I'm on, live on TV and I said, who wants to see this guy kick for a million dollars? And everybody now, nobody has left their seats. And they had a big crowd. They had like 40,000 that night. And now the teams are, are out on the sidelines watching this too, the Tiger Cats and the Argos. And he's looking at the uprights and I'm standing like two, three feet away from me. Feels like we're in a room by ourselves together. And I finally said, you know, you're just missing it this part of the right. Maybe if he goes, I know. I said, okay, I'm sorry. So I backed away. No more interviews, pal. I'm going to back away. Let you focus. The crowd is going to help you out here, I think. That's right. The two officials from the CFL, Kenrick Howe and Earl Ledford, will have the final say on whether or not this is good. Folks, this is a shot you dream about. One kick, one million dollars, let's help him out. Go! Good! It's good! He had plenty of leg on it, and it could not have been more middle. The place, if you look it up on YouTube, it's hilarious. The place just went berserk. The Argos and the Tigers all came flying out, and we're patting this guy on, on the back, and uh, it was funny you bring that up. It was definitely a, a major memory for me. Uh, you've been around the block and in your share of uh, special access areas at events. You've met some famous folks, athletes, media personalities, what have you. Uh, has anyone ever made you feel starstruck during your career? Um, one jumps to mind right off the bat. It was at a Grey Cup, the last Grey Cup I ever worked. It was 2013 in Regina, Tie Cats and the Riders. So everybody's having a good time. And lo and behold, Martin Short, who's from Hamilton, has flown in for the game. And he's brought with him his buddy, Tom Hanks. So we see them walking up and down the sidelines. And we're like, wow, look at that. That's like Tom Hanks. So anyway, Brian Williams knows Marty Short quite well. He texts him and he arranges he's going to get uh, Tom Hanks and Martin Short up on the set. And Brian's going to do the interview. So I got to get up and down. So they, they walk in. Now, I have been around other famous Hollywood people. Not many, but enough. And I've been around people who have a thimble full of the profile and star power that Tom Hanks has. And they come in with posse and security. They don't talk to anybody. Hanks rolls in with nobody, just him and Martin Short. He's high-fiving everybody, shaking hands with everybody. 
all the fans who have now turned around behind me, they're like, holy, it's like Tom Hanks. And he's, you know, high-fiving with them and having a good time. It was awesome. So he sits down beside me where he's going to sit. And, I, you know, I got to get up because Brian's already saying, got to get up. I said, okay, just let me get one picture. He goes, no problem. So I grab my phone. So he puts his arm around me. I put my arm around him and I'm trying to do the selfie thing. And I'm panicking, totally panicking. And I'm fumbling around with my thumb with one hand. And I'm like, Ugh. and I, I, bottom line is this awkward embrace with Tom Hanks, one of the most famous people on the planet is going on way too long while I fumble around like an idiot with my camera. And at the end of the day, I didn't get the picture because I, I panicked and I said, listen, we'll, we'll do this later because they got to get Brian in here. He goes, no, no problem. We'll do it right after. And lo and behold, when the interview happened, he was gone. I never got the picture, but uh, I still think back to that moment where I'm like holding up, like giving Tom Hanks a headlock and he's doing the same to me. And I'm thinking this is going on way too long. And I'm sure security is going to pounce on me any second. All right, so now you've moved into new territory, kind of. Uh, you were the voice of the Habs for the regional games, but now they've monopolized all your talents in Tampa. You're all in, one team exclusively. How does that differ from the game call gigs you've had before? It's a real different vibe here. Like, I got tons of social media people, um, fans reaching out to me, like, welcome to Tampa, welcome to our team, welcome to the family, Dave. Glad to have you. Like, they're giving me this big hug. Like, I'm in, I'm in with, with them. And so it's a different feel entirely. And to tell you the truth, I'm about 20 games in, and I think I've got a better feel for the balance now because they don't want me to be a total homer. And I've caught myself a couple of times. They were playing Florida a couple of weeks ago, and Barkov scored a great goal, like a really good goal. And if it's hockey in Canada, you just call a goal and you give it its proper due, which I did. And then I, in my own mind, I went, I should probably dial that back a little bit. This is the Florida Panthers. And so anyway, I, I'm uh, definitely trying to find the right balance there, but I'm getting more and more comfortable with it. And just for people who don't know, like, how'd you get the job in Tampa? Like the hiring process in the industry, do you keep your ear to the ground? Do people headhunt you? Did Peckham call and say, I want you? Dave, to replace me, what happened? Well, it wasn't no secret that Rick Peckham, who was the longtime voice of the Lightning, was leaving. He'd been here for 24 years, and he announced at the start of last season uh, that he was this was his last year. So everybody in the league pretty much knew that uh, this, this job was going to be open. I'll tell you a quick story. The first time I ever came to Tampa, in Tampa Bay, was 17 years ago. It was a playoff game that I was doing for TSN. I came in for a game five. They were playing Washington. And I'd never even been to the city. And uh, this is 17 years ago. I was struck by the atmosphere and the energy and how cool it was down here. Back then, Tampa was still finding its way as a quote-unquote hockey market. It's undeniably a great hockey market now and has been for a long time. Two cups to prove that. So when I came in, my eyes were open up. Wow, that was great. It was a great game. And, and then we walked out into the warm, beautiful Florida air at night. They're doing their post-game show outside from a set outside. There's fans all over the place. And I thought, this is really cool down here. I think I even said it out loud to somebody. I said, I'll tell you what, if Rick Peckham ever decides to retire, I think I got to throw my hat in that ring. And that is a true story. Fast forward 17 years later, it's always been one of my favorite places to see a game, to come and do a game because of all the reasons I just mentioned. And it's only gotten better since then. Their game night presentation, the fan base, it's its good down here. If you've never been to a game, uh, it's its a good place to see a hockey game. And it's, you know, everything that goes with it, the weather and the, the, the tailgating that happens out in what they call Thunder Alley, this area. they got a tiki bar out there to fan. There's, there's hundreds of people who don't even go into the game. They watch it outside on this big screen. 
Uh, it was a long process. It didn't, I wasn't the slam dunk. The lineup was around the block for this job. And I had three or four Zoom call interviews over the span of months. Uh, it didn't actually really become official till New Year's Eve. I had the long call with my now boss and uh, I thought, what a great way to say goodbye to 2020 and hello 2021. So it's been awesome. You know, I had a few more career related questions for you lined up, Dave, sure. but as I was prepping for my chat, uh, before the weekend, you know, we had some tragedy strike. We lost some great people in sports. I know you have connections to them. So instead, I wanted to get your thoughts on their passing. First of all, of course, Walter Gretzky, Canada's hockey dad, uh, passed away late last Thursday. Do you have any special memories of Wally? Yes, I've got one major one. I, I met Walter a few times over the years, but um, the one that obviously trumps them all was going to his house. Uh, I've got two uncles who've lived pretty much their whole lives in Brantford. So I was there with my sons. This must have been about six years ago, at least, maybe seven. <clears throat> and we're at summer. We're at, uh, out sitting out in his pool. And uh, one of my sons said, man, I can't believe that Wayne Gretzky's sports complex is like right around the corner from you. You know, the local rink that they've named after Wayne. And he said, yep, it's right around the corner. And said, in fact, David, have you, you've never been to his house, have you? I said, no. And one thing led to another. He gets on the phone. He knows the guy who looks after Walter. Uh, because his, his wife was gone by then and he lives pretty much on his own. He gets on the phone, make a call. And 10 minutes later, I kid you not, it's literally around the corner. Brantford's not a big place. Uh, we're in the house, the house that Wayne grew up in, the same backyard where that outdoor rink was built. And Walter is so thrilled to meet my sons and my nephew. There's four young boys in there. Off we go down in the basement. You have no doubt seen pictures of this basement. It's a modest home, a little rec room finished, little basement that is stuffed with jerseys, sticks, helmets, gloves, memorabilia, posters, cereal boxes, programs, trophies. It is a mind-blowing memorabilia collection with stuff, I don't want to say scattered all over the place, but it is, it's a small room and there's lots of stuff. There's jerseys from every stage of Wayne's career. And my sons are down there and they're looking at all the stuff and Walter finally spoke and goes, well, don't just stand there, grab a stick. Put on this jersey. And now he starts pulling jerseys off. He goes, here's one that Wayne wore in Edmonton when he scored, you know, whatever many points, 200 points. And, and you put this one on. I'm like losing my mind. Like I've been in the business for a while and I, I've met lots of people and I've been around a lot of cool things. But this is just mind blowing. And it was very special. And I was very, very happy that my sons recognized and remembered that day fondly when the news of the passing of Walter happened last week. So they uh, really appreciated that opportunity that he he provided for us. And we, could, we couldn't get out of there. Every time we said, thank you so much, Mr. Gretzky, but we should be going, never mind that. Sit down. I got some more stories for you. I later told this story to Wayne, you know, which he's heard a hundred, if not a thousand times. This, you know, a lot of people go into his house, but he just kind of chuckled and said, yeah, that's my dad. He really was a man of the people. I mean, that's what everyone says about Wally. Yeah. Uh, Dave, next, I want to offer my condolences to you. I know you lost a friend as well the next day on Friday. Uh, Chris Schultz passed away. Of course, a talented athlete, played for the Cowboys, the Argonauts, uh, sat on a desk with you at the panel at TSN. Uh, can you share a few thoughts about your friend? Schultz, he uh, was, was a very good friend of mine over the years and uh, was there. We, we had so much fun on that show. We all, everybody had just different personalities. And I think most people who would watch the CFL would agree. He was super passionate about the game. Football was at the core of his life to uh, make it to big time U.S. college football. A kid from Burlington and then played for the Dallas Cowboys. Left tackle for the Dallas Cowboys. That is 
It just didn't happen. It happens a lot more now, a lot more Canadian guys. But that this is back in the 80s when it just didn't happen. And then for him to come home and win a great cup for his hometown Argos was a uh, was a big deal, too. And then he became an excellent broadcaster. Uh, he was a storyteller. He had a gift of the gab. He was intense at times. He was a, a fiend for preparation. As a broadcaster, everything had to be regimented. We had to be on time for meetings and, and, and organized and what we were going to say at halftime. We laughed a lot, and Schultz laughed the loudest. And uh, he was there for me personally in a lot of areas in my life, too. Um, he would always reach out. I emailed with him about 10 days ago. So it's uh, a tough one, and thanks for asking about him. I love him, and I miss him. Thanks for sharing those memories with us, Dave. Uh, so now you found a home in Tampa. Uh, the Lightning, yeah. they are buzzing this year. Again, I mean, <laughs> sitting second in the league standings as of today. Which team do you have an eye on? You know, Colorado, I think, obviously, and Vegas are, are you know, key teams in the Western Division. And then in the North, you know, Toronto is looks very, very good. Florida is no joke right now. Carolina's tough. Um, Chicago has is, is come from behind and they, they got a young group that's playing above their heads. Tampa Bay still is the best team in this division, but they are getting pushed every single night. Uh, but I, I just will say this is an incredibly deep team with an amazing goaltender. And But they've got guys like Yanni Gord had four points uh, on Sunday against the Blackhawks in a, in a game in which they came back from a three-goal deficit. Um, they've got Mikhail Sergachev. He's in behind Hedman and Ryan McDonough. Sergachev is really emerging as the next one here along the blue line. He is, he's way ahead of schedule. They say you need about 300 games to really be a bona fide defenseman, but he's, he's ahead of schedule there. He's really a treat to watch. And they've got, you know, two depth guys in Barclay Goodrow and Blake Coleman who are on a line normally with Yachty Gord that uh, can match up against anybody. You just go up and down this lineup. They are very deep. They're very well structured. They've carried a lot of their structure that they had when they won the cup in the bubble. So with no preseason and a very short training camp, they were able to really draw upon that to allow them to get off to what is their best start in franchise history. It is uh, it's a special thing they've got going on here. And now that I watch them every night, you see how the pieces really do truly fit. Uh, it's, it's an impressive group for sure. Well, whatever the immediate future holds for the franchise, I hope you'll come back and chat with us maybe again postseason this summer. Uh, Dave, all the best to you, and uh, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Johnny. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. And keep up the great work cranking those tunes in Rogers. <laughs> My thanks again to Dave for coming through the first of many broadcasters we're going to be talking with in our journey here on B-Dub as we go behind the scenes in game presentation, broadcasting, and sports entertainment surrounding the NHL. Lots of action in the NHL tonight. You've got the Kings and Ducks, the Golden Knights versus the Wild, the Coyotes and Avalanche, Canadians taking on the Canucks, and of course, Edmonton Oilers looking for a win against the Ottawa Senators. Please remember to download the show and leave us a review up on Apple Podcasts. My name's Johnny Infamous. I'll see you next week. Be good to each other. Join Johnny Infamous every Wednesday at noon for Between Listens. Subscribe and watch live on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Presented by DraftKings. Use promo code THPN to unlock rewards at DraftKings.com.